Welcome to another episode of the CDW Life Nuggets Podcast with Pastor Cher B. Winkley, where the Word of God is the foundational truth that we believe and live. It's life for our spiritual and practical application. Tune in, hear the Word, and prepare to be empowered to manifest and maximize life. And now, a message from Pastor Cher D. Winkley. Hello there. Hello, hello, hello. Hello there. I'm glad that you all have joined in. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Do me a favor, do us a favor, and uh, make sure that you share uh, this live tonight as it's, I think it, and believe it's going to be beneficial uh, for all that are listening. And so as we uh, prepare to start, I'd love for you to go ahead and share, invite others to join in, um, uh, like it, and let us know that you're here. Let us know that you hear that you're here. Hello there. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Do us a favor and let's go ahead and uh, share the video and let others know that you're watching. Hello there. Hello. Good evening. Happy Friday to each of you. Hello there. Hello. 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 Hello there. Let's make sure that we uh, share the video and uh, invite others to join as we uh, bring our guests in. Um, so that we can have a thorough and a well-rounded conversation about living with racism. Hello there. Hello there. Good evening. Let us know that you're here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hello there. Hi. Hi. Happy Friday to you. Hello, my brother, Pastor Johnson. Thank you for joining in. Do us a favor, share this video um, again, so that those that are connected with you can be uh, blessed, encouraged, instructed, and empowered by what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, hello there, hi, hi, thank you for joining in. Thank you for joining in. So I want to, without further ado, um, I want to uh, share uh, the purpose for doing a CDW Life Nuggets podcast in this platform and format. Um, of course, we've done a live podcast before or podcast before where I'll bring guests on um, to share their hearts about pastoring during a pandemic and living the gospel you sing about and how we are to respond to COVID-19, et cetera. Um, but this is something that is um, uh, plaguing our nation and not just for this week. This is not anything brand new. Um, racism is not new. I, I believe that it is a thread that is interwoven into um, who we are. And when I say we, I mean our country. It's not anything brand new. Um, however, my heart has been very burdened this week, as as I'm sure many of yours has as well, 
by what has happened um, and what continues to happen. And so I've gathered together uh, some people that I trust. Uh, I trust their voice. I trust their insight and their wisdom to share with us um, about this um, this this incident that we have seen this week regarding George Floyd. And so I want to introduce them to you. I have um, uh, Dr. Johnny Green, who is uh, the pastor of Mount Nemo, Nebo Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. Uh, I have known him or he has known me. We've known each other since my birth. <laughs> uh, he, he is my uncle. He graduated from P Princeton Theological um, University, very intelligent man of God. A powerful word of God. He has um, his church is historical. Uh, he is heavily involved not only in the church world but in politics, and I believe that he has um, a voice to share with us what is necessary about what's going on. And so, again, for those of you that are joining, one, let us know that you're here. Two, um, do share the video so that others that are connected with you uh, that they may be blessed and instructed and encouraged by what we are sharing. So, thank you. Uh, I call you Unc, but thank you, Dr. Green, for sake of formalities. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, then we have um, Sister Sharon Mosley, who is a member of our church, uh, and I admire her um, greatly. She served with the Dallas Police Department for 37 years um, as a police officer and a detective as well. And um, I think it is very necessary for us to hear from someone who is who has been in the trenches on both sides as an African-American woman and um, as a police officer. So I appreciate you so much, Sister Mosley, for, for coming and sharing with us. Um, we also have uh, Pastor Kennedy, um, who's a dear sister and friend of mine, and I appreciate you for joining. Um, but she is the pastor of Wesley Cha Chapel AME Church here in Dallas. Uh, she is the CEO of KEB and Radio. Um, she is an activist as well. She's also um, a great poet, um, but I, I am grateful for her presence and I know that she's going to share. Hello there. Hello. Thank you all for joining. Um, I know that she has something to share with us that will be uh, a blessing to us as well. We also have uh, Dr. Damian Williams, who is a good brother of mine. He's the pastor of New Hope Baptist Church here uh, in Dallas. Um, he recently acquired his PhD and I know that takes a lot of work to do. And so I am just grateful that he has taken the time to, to share with us um, his heart and uh, his experience from a biblical standpoint. So um, without further ado, you know, we have been, um, it's all over social media. It is all over the news. Um, it is, and, and let me say this, Dr. Moody is going to join us shortly, but it's all, of, all over social media, it's all over the news. Um, what has recently happened with um, George Floyd? And I'll be honest, uh, my heart has been very burdened by what we have seen and what the African-American community consistently uh, deals with, ha has to face, um, has to go through. Um, the, the consequences of something that we cannot change, which I believe is simply the color of our skin um, and the judgments of how we respond. Now, let me say this, um, this live and this conversation will be very well-rounded. 
it won't just be focused on one specific thing or coming from one specific angle. Um, and so I, I would that you keep your ears and hearts open to receiving a well-balanced meal, if you will, right? Um, we are advocates for uh, righteousness first um, and then justice and equality. And, um, and that is the direction and the angle of which we're going to have a discussion uh, tonight. And so I want to hear from you all as to how you have felt from a general standpoint before we hear from you individually, uh, from a general standpoint, how you have felt about what has taken place. Um, we as believers know that the word of the Lord um, says that we are to submit to our governing authorities in Romans uh, chapter 13. We know that we are to, according to Hebrews, seek peace with all men and holiness for without no man can see the Lord. Um, and even in our daily Bible reading, and we'll share this too, in Psalms chapter 10, it, it talks about the oppressed. But what are your personal um, feelings about what has recently happened uh, this week and what continues to happen uh, over and over again? Mama said, always be a gentleman, so ladies first. <laughs> uh, honestly, Pastor Shear, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm emotionally tired. Um, you begin the healing process, and, and that's relative to every individual. Um, and then you turn, you know, we are reeling from Ar um, Ahmaud Arbery, then we turn around and we have, right. well, let me just back up. We were reeling from Breonna Taylor. Yeah, you know, I'm, let's bring in intersection intersectionality here. Um, then we turn around and we have Ahmad Aubrey. Right. And then once when we we you know the emotions start to settle and we start to you know uh, we're still grieving. And then you turn around and this happens. You like again and yeah. frequency. It's like <clears throat> continually to take the scab off of a hundred years of hundreds of years of wounds. Right, right. I mean, I, I have more to share, but I just want to, uh, I don't want to the time. Uh, hear from others as well. No, 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 I, I completely agree with you. It's, um, it's, it's, it's tiring. Um, and, you know, just to reiterate, uh, the moment you somewhat process and work through and seek to get over, it happens all over again. Um, and, you know, you, you feel, I saw someone post this week, you feel numb. Um, you know, you, you're angry, you're outraged, or maybe those are, those are feelings that I have felt. I have been, um, I was bothered. I was hurt. Um, I was very angry. I sin not because the Bible says be angry and sin not. <laughs> But I was very angry, outraged, um, and you have to sort of compartmentalize your feelings or your emotions because you just don't know when you're going to experience those same things all over again when this happens again. Um, exactly. I completely agree with you. Uh, anybody else, how have you all felt this week with uh, what's been going on? It's, it's been a struggle for me as well. Uh, you know, I've got a 13-year-old son. Uh, I've got five children, but a 13-year-old son, he's, a, he's my oldest male uh, yeah. child. And just, uh, you know, having to answer questions for him. Yeah. And, you know, uh, 
I'm just, I mean, how do you cry until you have no more, no, no more tear ducts? I mean, you know, you know, your tear ducts are so dry. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just been a struggle for me, all kind of mixed emotions. And I, I must yeah. admit, I've said some things in my head that have been ungodly in my head and that didn't come out of my mouth. But it's okay. like, here we go again. It become, it's just seeming so cyclical, you know, and and and, and here we go. A new day, yeah. same old mess over and over and over again. So it's been it's been tough for me. So, uh, you know, and I asked myself the question and I, I, I posted it all on social media. What have we done so bad? To make America not love us. That's yeah. such a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's very loaded. And yeah. I think it goes back to your opening statement that, you know, um, racism has been around for so long. And it's not that you said, well, what have we done for America to hate us? But when we think about the evilness of racism that is yeah. embedded in the fabrics of this country, when we think about the history um, of, of just chattel slavery, and when we think about the generations of generations and generations, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But when you think about um, it, we haven't done anything. It's yeah. the ideology. And yeah. now we have, yeah. um, when you have, talking about honoring our, our um, government officials who are in place and mm-hmm. I just believe in civil disobedience. I believe that yeah. Um, yeah. you have someone in, in our government that's basically giving people license, um, emboldening them to act out. Um, yeah. And I say that loosely, act out. It's basically coming to surface what's already embedded in their heart. That's true. That's true. And I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to generalize and, and put everybody in the same group because we really do have some um, outstanding um, um, moral. Um, that are not moral bankrupt who are truly serving our country well, but there are people who give others license. So it's not what we have done. Um, And I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I really think about um, what have we allowed. Mm. Right. Right. And what have we not carried forward from other activists in our, um, in our history? That's good. That's good. That's good. Dr. Green, how have you felt? Well, uh, first of all, thank you, uh, uh, Pastor Sheriff, for inviting me to come on with such a distinguished uh, group of, of speakers and, and uh, program participants. Uh, I want to, you know, I'm an activist to the bone, and um, I run an organization, Impact Mobilizing Communities, which consists of over 500 churches statewide throughout the Empire State, and we have other churches in other areas. But the question, how do I feel right now? I want to borrow the words from that Mississippi freedom fighter, Fannie Lou Hamer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, yeah. And I understand the words of uh, Frederick Douglass when he said, power concedes nothing without demand, never has and never will. And so the frustration, the anger, uh, the righteous indignation that's being felt and being uh, acted upon in not just Minneapolis, uh, but all across America today. And not just black people, but there are some good white people who feel the same way that I feel. They are sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think is a beautiful thing is that uh, people are waking up to understand the, the, the hatred and the systemic evil that exists at the top level of leadership. I thank Pastor Kennedy for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's time, you know, people are just tired. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm in that same boat. I'm tired, but I'm not so tired that I'm not uh, willing to get up and fight. I'll be in Minnesota probably next week. Uh, I'm just trying to pace myself because have, we have so much going on here in New York and you know, between what's going on in Brunswick, Georgia, what's going on in Minneapolis. You know, I just can't be everywhere at the same time, but I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Yeah. yeah after a while, you know, numb is the only word that, um, that comes to mind, you know, um, you know you need to do something and you want to do something and you you know the myriad of emotions that you experience um but you become numb to the to this consistency that will not cease um you know no matter how much you um it's something that is what i call an ancestral genocide um it it's it's before all of us um ever entered into the world, it, it has been happening long before we took our first breath. And so um, with it being so consistent and no matter what you, how you respond, what you do, uh, there's still a crack in an avenue where it's allowed and it's acceptable. Um, you, you become numb to it and, uh, and it makes you uh, feel emotions that you have to figure out what you're going to do with those so that you can try to make some type of sense to get a result that is beneficial to African-American men and women. It's not just men, men are predominant in terms of racism as far as those who are affected mostly, but it's men and women, uh, African-American men and women that are affected. Um, Sister Mosley, Dr. Moody, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your presence. Glad to be here. Yes, Speaking sir. to you from Brunswick, Georgia, where I live. So we've been in the middle of this uh, round of racism now for uh, a number of weeks since February 23rd. Uh, although I did not know about the death here uh, for several weeks and uh, for several months, and neither did anybody else. And uh, but once it uh, surfaced uh, several weeks ago, uh, I've been very active in a network of ministers here, white and black. Um, and early on, there was a, a fear that there would be um, a violence, uh, that the protest uh, would turn violent. That did not happen. Uh, but the, uh, the people have been organizing uh, and uh, petitioning uh, finally, we got people ar arrested, but I will say that there's an enormous amount, not only here in Brunswick, but um, in my network across the country, uh, and Sherry, you know, I, I have a, a pretty extensive black and white network across the country of, of uh, ministers and, and lay people. Uh, there's an awful lot of outrage um, that has built. You know, we watched what happened in Central Park. Yes. Uh, we've watched what happened in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, in my radio show, I interviewed Kevin Cosby just last week or two weeks ago, talking about things there. And um, 
So I think there's a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of rage, uh, even in uh, the white ministerial network. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think few people know what to do. Right. Um, I think that's, uh, I share that with all of you. Uh, it's difficult. I mean, I write columns about it. I do a radio show about it. But, uh, you know, even I feel helpless to impact anything or change the direction of anything. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so, so Mosley, how have how have you felt about um, just what has recently happened um, and what has been happening consistently? Are you speaking to me, Reverend yes. Chair? Yes, ma'am. Okay, we're having a delay and I got a lot of static. Can you give me the question again? Just how have you felt with what has happened and, and, and what has what continues to happen? Okay, we're still I'm still having a lot of breakup, but as I view this, it turns my stomach. Yeah. As a former police officer and a detective for 37 years, I have never witnessed this kind of individual in a uniform that would blatantly, blatantly take a person's life in such a manner. Yeah. I have never been violent to a person that I arrested. I've never shot anyone. I've never been physically harmed. I dealt with people like I wanted to be dealt with. Right. It didn't matter what color they were. It didn't matter what sex they were. The bottom line is that they are human beings. Yeah. And I don't understand this type of venom that I have witnessed this week from one individual to the point that the other people around him thought it was okay. I mean, when you see wrong, you speak up. And I'm offended by the fact that those other officers did not say, hey, get up. Yeah. Get up off of him. Or all you had tap him on his shoulder and say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. As a black mother with two grown sons, it bothers me to no end because I've always told them, do what is asked of you at that moment. Right. Bring it home to your dad and I. I want you to come home. And my goal on that job was every day or night, because I worked the late night shift, I need to get home to my family. That was my prayer all those years, is to, yeah. to make it home to my family. And right. I tell my sons this way. People look at a black man, they don't see that he belongs to somebody, that he is loved yeah. by a mother. He is loved 
mm. by sisters and he is loved by his children. Right. He is somebody. Mm. You know, I, I think so this I, this whole deal that we're witnessing is disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the missing element um, is that, you know, and we're going to speak to African-American men because I believe to my core that there is an unspoken edict of genocide on the African-American male species. Um, and so when you said that people forget whether it be white police officers or um, Caucasian men or however Caucasian women, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, or people within their own community. Um, but when you think about that, you forget, as you just said, that they are loved by somebody, that, that they are not just a, a criminal or not just a civilian or not just somebody that needs to be arrested or not just someone that needs to be apprehended, but that they belong to somebody. And so when you start looking at people as objects, you treat them with a less amount of care as you would someone that you look at as a person with a heart and emotions and a will and a mind and a place to go home to, however it may be. Um, and so I think that's the missing element because to some people, um, African-American men and women are not looked at as human beings. Um, they are not treated as such. Um, and this is not something that's anything new. Um, this is something that has been going on far beyond George Floyd. Um, but they are, they are, we are treated um, as human beings in some aspects. Um, it is an object for apprehension um, and exposing or putting on us whatever they feel in the moment. Um, and that's the danger of um, a police officer, in this particular instance, a police officer who does not treat a civilian as a human being. Um, but as, because I, I'll be honest with you all, and you can chime in on this and then we'll get to specific questions. When I saw the other side of the video, right, the, the police officer had his, the knee, his knee and his neck, there were two other police officers there as well with the car door open. So my logic thinking is just open up the car door and put them in. If you have three police officers there with your knees on them, just pick him up or stand him up and put him in the car. To me, that's simple. If you're regarding a person as a human being and not as an object for your for your pleasure or your frustration or your apprehension, et cetera. And so I completely, I completely agree with you on the necessity of approaching it from that angle and aspect. It's a, you know, it's a play sure. of optics. I'm from, from a media perspective, I believe it's a play on optics. If, if this person can be dehumanized, if we can make them look like a criminal and um, look at all the negative, anything that's negative that they can either um, um, make up or put out of proportion what really transpired, I am dehumanizing this person. Therefore, my actions are justified. Right. So you have disparities of how law enforcement treat a, a black man opposed to a, a Caucasian man, the same age, same build, same um, same issue, 
is completely different. Yeah. So when you have this time after time after time, um, um, uh, Sister Mosley stated that she just wants to go home at night. So when you have a, a particular a white officer who feels that his life is threatened because this particular um, person is larger than them, you have training right. on how to apprehend someone in a way that's that's not dis in disregard to their livelihood. So those disparities and how we treat various uh, suspects, it is disheartening, it's a heart-wrenching. You I mean if it was the situation was reversed, if the officer was black and the suspect was white, would this situation be played out as such? Even right. when you go back to Ar um, Ahmad Aubrey, Arbery when we think about even um, all the various aspects, we as a black community, we look at all of these optics. And you mentioned, um, Pastor Cher, how, um, and as Sister Moses stated, that we don't look at them as someone's brother or someone's mm -hmm. uncle, mm -hmm. someone's cousin, someone's dad. We see them as a large black man, and I don't know what he's going to do to me. And I have a gun and a taser and all these other, I have mates, but yet, you want to exert physical force that is truly uncalled for, but yet we have double standards and we haven't said the word yet, white right. privilege and systemic racism. Right, right. Those things are, you know, it's, it's a different situation when it comes to my brothers and my sisters. Uh, when I watched the videos from New York and saw that a young lady, Amy Cooper, I think her name was, yes. mm -hmm. uh, talking about uh, talking to the 911 operator, there's a, an African-American man, he's harassing me. This is what I went through in my mind. That woman is never around african-american men she doesn't work with them doesn't go to church with them she, she doesn't go to the bar where they are she's never around them i think this anytime i hear anybody criticize another group of people it can be muslims it can be liberals it can be republicans and we talk this way about people that are strangers to us and uh instead of making friends across these boundaries across these social divides uh, we keep people at arm's length and so they become strangers to us and all the stereotypes of strangers the unknown uh, that they are different than we are this is what creep, creeps into us and this is what was driving this woman in central park if she'd known any black men uh, if she was working with them or, or something she, she wouldn't feel this way about them and that's what I think when I hear people talk about another group like this. There's just not enough interaction between people. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think I think, Dr. Moody, that, you know, to to a certain extent that, that we are to go into uncharted territories in terms of um, creating fellowships and seeking to have a level of understanding about different cultures and and. Um, 
other people that we are unaware of how they function and what their expectations are and what their upbringing um, has been, et cetera. Um, but as we uh, filter in, if you will, with, with other cultures and other people and other ethnicities and et cetera, there needs to be a level of respect that we approach and become entangled with that with. We need to maintain that. And I think that when there is a mindset of superiority and inferiority automatically that's instilled, um, you know, when a person is brought up with that mentality and a person is nurtured with that mentality and, um, you know, find, finds themselves in institutions that subliminally uh, impute that mentality into children and into adolescents and et cetera, then there's this automatic display of um, of superiority. It's easy for me to fellowship with you in a community of people, but still think in the back of my mind that no matter how much fellowship I, I have with you, I am still over you, better than you, more privileged, privileged than you, et cetera. And I think that that's the thing that needs to be addressed because no one is isolated in our communities where you shop with only your ethnicity. You go to work with only your, your ethnicity. Um, you fellowship with only people of your race and, and color and kind, but the respect level of who they are um, as humans, period, just, just as humans, the, it's not there. And I think that is what is missing, that we lack the level of respect that is necessary to even as we um, go into these different cultures and fellowship and find ourselves you know, intermixed and intertwined, but we don't have that to maintain that, uh, to impute it into others so that they can have the same, even within our own cultures, because I know that there is um, some uh, rebuttals about violence within the African-American culture, that that needs to cease, violence within the, the Caucasian culture, and that needs to cease. And I will agree that white on white crime and black on black crime uh, needs to stop across the board. Uh, but my issue is, uh, and I've posted this and I said this at our church and I'll say it to anybody I have a conversation with, when you have po police officers who swear to protect and serve civilians, then at that point, it doesn't matter whether two Hispanics are violent against one another. It doesn't matter whether two white people are violent against, it doesn't matter whether two black people, what matters is you upholding what you said you would do regardless of their color. And so, yes, we can talk about communities and violence within that, but I think there needs to be a level of, of respect maintained um, and encouraged as we do that. Uh, Pastor Chair, can I say something? Um, well, you know, right now we're dealing with the murder, the cold-blooded murder right. of George Floyd by a white police officer who had a checkered history when it, when it comes down to policing peop, African-Americans and people of color, okay? Right. He had a checkered history. He was never checked. He was never checked when he should have been checked with his earlier incidents. Absolutely. Okay, that's number one. So I, you know, when we have people who start talking about uh, black on black crime and white on white crime and all of that. That's just a distraction. That's a diversion tactic uh, 
you know, when you have even black people saying, you know, well, the next time a black kill another black, we want to see the same outrage. You know what? That's just stupidity. It's not like we sitting uh, on the sidelines condoning black on black violence. It's not like we're sitting on the sidelines condoning white on white violence. Uh, we're talking about injustice. We're talking about someone who is uh, supported by government funds, somebody who is sworn to protect, somebody who totally disregarded uh, the humanity of this man. This man literally meant nothing to him because for eight minutes, this man lay on the ground screaming, my neck hurt, my stomach hurts, all right. of my body hurts, uh, I can't breathe. And listen, I'm here in New York, you know, and you know I'm a national board member of National Action Network. Yeah. I've been on the ground, boots on the ground, uh, long before Eric Garner uh, uh, was uh, choked to death by Daniel Pantaleo. I've been to jail more times than I care to remember for marching and protest. It comes down to simply this. Racism is alive and well in America. Right. We became complacent. We thought that after we had made some gains during the civil rights era, we thought once schools were integrated, we thought once we were able to buy homes uh, in other uh, neighborhoods, despite redlining, et cetera, uh, we thought that when we, were, we, we integrated the uh, prestigious white institutions of higher learning. Right. We thought that uh, when we were able to graduate from these uh, institutions, et cetera, we thought that the fight was won. But here's where we really made a mistake. After the election of Barack Obama, we thought we thought that that we had moved beyond. So you even had folks talking about, you know, uh, racism is, is not a thing that we should focus on now. Listen. More than 400 years, we have suffered. We have suffered uh, dehumanizing experiences, and that's where the focus needs to be. The focus needs to be on the issue at hand, and the issue at hand is that a white police officer, right, right. who had ties with with white nationalist groups, killed a black man in broad daylight, and it was captured cinematically. Right. Via Facebook Live, social media, uh, uh, smartphones, etc. And now what they're trying to do is they're trying to convince us we didn't see what we saw. Yeah. Same thing with Mir Rice, same thing with Michael Brown, same thing uh, with Trayvon Martin. I've, I've sat with their parents. I've sat uh, uh, Gwen Carr is a personal friend of mine. I've seen her cry time and time again. And when when she heard that young man on that ground crying, I can't breathe. I know Gwen Carr. I've been on the phone with her. I was on the phone with her and Reverend Sharpton yesterday as they were getting ready to fly back from Minneapolis to New York. She couldn't stop crying because this stuff keeps on happening over and over again. Yeah. And it doesn't happen the opposite way. Why right. is it that that? Right. And let me just say this: you right. you had Dave Ruth down in in Charleston, South Carolina, walked into Mother Zion AM AME Church, shot and killed nine people, including the senior pastor, was on the lane for two days, and when they arrested him, there was no incident. 
They put him in the back of the squad car. He said, I'm hungry, and they stopped by Burger King. But now, George Floyd is dead, and he shouldn't be dead. And that's where the focus needs to be. And if there's not righteous indignation amongst not just the church, not just the unchurch, but the church, then yes, something church. is wrong. We have not understood our calling as Christians as it relates to justice and righteousness according to justice and righteousness as we understand Jesus in the New Testament. I hate to go off like that, but that's just how I'm feeling right now. No, I, think, I think you're on point, Pastor, because here, here's the reality, and we're talking about dehumanizing him. So now we want to spin it and say stuff like, well, he shouldn't have had counterfeit. You're missing the point. Right, counterfeit right. nothing. If that was a white man, would you have it's put man. your dog on? Yeah. 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 Would you have put your, your knee in a white man's neck and held him down for that long and him screaming, saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe? The problem is, you're right, racism lives alive in the world. And, and yeah. it's not that it's getting worse, it's getting filmed now. And that is the issue. We can see it. And we're calling it on the carpet, and we are holding folks accountable for it, and and that's what's pissing folks off. Uh, I'm sorry, I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to use that. Sorry, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Sorry about but we're talking. Yeah. You, you were going back to dealing with the death of um, uh, Mr. Floyd, but what I want to bring back to the table. Yes, racism is alive and well. Yes, racism is screaming in our faces. But we we say, um, you mentioned, Dr. Green, that um, the officer had a checkered past. Why was he not checked? Why was he not held accountable for his right. previous actions? I just want to bring back to the table that we're talking about systemic racism. We're talking about systems. We're talking about um, um, hierarchy. We're not talking about just one rogue officer. We're talking about maybe right. a whole rogue department. We're right. not talking about right. a whole rogue department. We're talking about a whole uh, a rogue city down from the mayor down. So when you right. have someone that will say, well, you know what? Don't worry about it. You know, we, we, we um, point point when we look at our administration where people have been held accountable for their for their actions and they're sent to prison the next thing you know we cough and sneeze and they got a pardon from our our, our chief of well the best oh, example of this yeah. you, we, we, we can yeah we can talk about and go all day long on mr floyd and um, um, uh, um, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, but can we really talk about the system, right? right. Well, uh, come on here, we're pastors here, and we're talking about the road to to, uh, to Jericho. We talk, we're talking about the roads that our people are being mugged on, uh, and we're talking about everything that's transpiring on the road. Fix the road, yeah, right. Fix the systems. Well, the best example you know what? that are, are broken, um, that are deep seated, and follow the money. When we look at a, a prison system that's funded, follow the money. You're about to, Doctor Green. I'm, 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 I hear you, but you didn't push the button because we can talk about <laughs> the things that we see in the news. But until well, here, we we put uh, uh, yeah. truth Since we power, it truly be prophets. Prophets calling calling people out on their things, and yes, prophets, real prophets, bring people back to God, right? So, right. okay, 
let me calm down because yeah, I'm about to get crunk here because it's a fact can I, matter. Can I say can I say something about the property? Can I, can Excuse me, sir. Well, the best example. Can I say something about the, pro the prophetic piece? One of the real problems. One of the real problems that we have, uh, since we're talking about prophets, et cetera, et cetera, uh, one of the real problems is we have, you know, uh, back when Ahab confronted, I mean, when uh, Elijah confronted Ahab, uh, it was very clear what 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 uh, Elijah's in, indictment was against yes, Ahab. Right. He said, right. uh, when, when, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, are you, here's the one that troubleth Israel. And, and, and Elijah reversed it. Elijah said, I'm not the cause. You're the cause. You're the cause. And we have You're the, the same situation yeah. now. Yeah. We have a commander in chief who sat at, uh, at, on Pennsylvania Avenue in the, uh, we have a Twitter in chief who fans the flames of racism. He calls right. people who carry ticker torches yeah. nice people. People who run over crowds of people and kill them nice people. He called Klansmen nice people. He says that we're, you know, we're going to start uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Well, with all of the pictures that are being captured of the looters, it's more white people looting than black people. So I, yeah. I put on the, on the president's Twitter today, I say, Mr. President, are you sure you want to shoot the looters? Because it looks like the looters are white. Are you sure you want to shoot white people? I don't think that's what you intend, Mr. President. Now, listen to me. You are right. Systemic racism. Look, Walmart, Target. I, I, uh, Tamika Mallory said on uh, CNN today, you think I care about Target's burning? You think I care about AutoZone uh, burning? Oh, These are the institutions that are contributing to a campaign yeah. that's headed by a man who is full of hate. And here's the problem. While you had Elijah confronting Ahab, you had prophets that were sitting at Jezebel's table. And Jezebel was Ahab's wife. And here's the problem. We've got too many so-called prophets. And right. I just pointed out the evangelical white church I'm sorry, but they are sitting at Ahab and Jezebel's table, okay? Yeah. And that's where the problem is. is with, listen, let, let me tell you something. All evil needs to triumph is good people to do nothing. And I'm sorry. When you have people like Jerry Farwell, who heads an institution like Liberty University, putting on, saying, telling the governor of Virginia, the yeah. only time I wear a mask is when I can wear a black face mask. Come on yeah. now. Yeah. And nobody's outraged about that. Yeah. But what about the Just to well, add, uh, add to that, Dr. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Doctor would have been trying to say something I'm for the sorry, past. <laughs> I, just, I just want to say about this systemic racism, uh, Pastor Kennedy, that you talked about is right down here in Brunswick, where uh, none of the police officers, none of the district attorneys, none of the judges yeah. uh, would do anything. It's a systemic problem. And then when the state people came in, it took them just 36 hours to arrest them. But then they had to go out to across the state to find a prosecutor and upstate to Savannah to find a judge. 
because the whole system down here in our county cannot be trusted. No, none of it worked. And some, some of the people we can vote out, most of these people um, are appointed uh, by the city commissioners. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a terrible system. I think this has embarrassed all of us. Uh, uh, black and white, many of us are are angry about this. That that are, it's not just it, it's 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 not just uh, Ahmad who got a raw deal and didn't get his fair shake. The whole system is on trial and has been found wanting, and uh, is an embarrassment to all of it. It's on the bottom. Yeah, I, I think that that is that's where it begins. Um, I, I, I commented on a post of, of mine earlier today that that followers mimic their leaders, sheep mimic their shepherd. And and I think that when when you look at our country and, and the common thread that um, that permeates our thought patterns and the thought patterns of those that are in positions and those that have money and those that are in authority. It is governed by from top down. Um, when you have a leader who, who tweets whatever he wants to tweet in the middle of the night, early in the morning, midday, doesn't matter, um, with, no, with no thought about consequences or ramifications about what he airs, who it affects, etc., then you create this sense of liberty to, to say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do, simply because you are who you are, you have the position, the power, the authority, and the money to do it without consequence. And when you create that, when you exude that as a leader one, when you exude a position of leadership and authority without some type of submission, without some type of accountability to what you express, to what you say, to how you treat people, to how you govern your authority, et cetera, then you create a nation and a class of people who think that that's okay. So I think that if, if in this instance, in this in this president, with this particular situation, if it's going to turn around, it's going to have to turn around from people who are in those positions that think what happened to George Floyd was okay when it was not. One of the conversations I had earlier today with a friend of mine, Caucasian sure, pastor down in, in the George in the Georgetown area, you know, you're talking about the all flowing from the head down, right? And, and because the oil flows from the head down, he asked the question, what can I tell a lay person? I said, no, 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 no. Forget the forget the lay person. I say, so goes the pulpit, so goes the, the, the pew. I say, and until my white evangelical brothers get in their minds and sisters get in their minds that they, they feel like they need to fix everything and, 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 and quit race instigating like our president is doing, we will never ever get to, to the point to where we can have a conversation. So if you're not willing to use your white privilege, if you claim that I'm that you love me, but the reason you're not willing to use your white privilege to fix this stuff from the white evangelical perspective is because you're afraid of losing money, people, and your prestige. You think folks are going to walk out on you if you open your mouth. Well, you can't say you're my boy. You can't say you're my girl and, and call yourself prophetic if you're not willing to do the things that need to be done to make these things happen. And I don't want to hear it in the conversation. In lieu of that, Dr. Sure. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Grant. I want to say I want to commend I want to commend Dr. Moody first of all because uh, it takes courage. It takes courage 
to do and to say what he is saying tonight right, right. from in Brunswick, Georgia. Uh, because, you know, uh, the world hasn't changed much. The more, we, the more time passes, the more the world sort of remains the same. Um, you know, when, when he talks about the system, the broken system is supposed to be a system of justice and righteousness for all, but really it's a it's a system of justice uh, for certain people, but more importantly, it's a system of injustice for right. marginalized and disenfranchised people. Now, right. here's the problem with, 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 with clergy, with the church as a whole. Yeah. Dr. Martin Luther King, when he sat in that stanky jail cell, that damp jail cell, that jail cell that was was filled with inhumane conditions. He wrote a letter from the Birmingham jail. And the letter from the Birmingham jail was not written to Bull Connor. It was not written to Lester Maddox. It was, it was not written to George Wallace. It was written to a group of white ministers yeah. who went to that pulpit at 11 o'clock and left at one o'clock the the most segregated hour of the year, and okay. they said nothing about yeah. the injustice that right. was going on in Birmingham, that was going on in yeah. in Georgia, that was going on all across America, and and the same thing. The, the what has happened today is we have copycats. We have clergy copycats. They are afraid to open their mouth because the people who run corporations, the people who donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to their church, the people who are responsible for their hiring and their firing have, have already given them the signal and the right. sign to stay quiet. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. they really work. They really work for the people and not for God. But when you are a free minister, when you are a free minister and when you operate and walk in the anointing of God's, and that I know, sure, I know you like all that anointing stuff, because I do too. <laughs> but when you walk in the anointing of God, yeah. God will advance you. God will give you the covering. So I'm praying for men like uh, Dr. Moody. I'm praying for men like Andy Stanley. I was so happy to see Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley. Yeah. Stand up and speak out immediately right. to the right. injustice of Brunswick and the injustice of Minneapolis. And then Dr. Joel Gregory, who is a personal friend of mine, listen, he wrote a scathing indictment yeah. uh, several weeks ago in a, in a social media piece, and I'd love you to go read it. Yeah. We need people like Dr. Moody, Dr. Dr. Stanley and others to stand with us. This is the only way. And then as black people, we've got to learn to take that anger, that energy, and channel right. it, mobilize, organize, strategize. Right. And, 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 and now the election is coming. It can start in November by giving an eviction notice to Trump and telling him to be out the White House by January. Right. That's where so, Dr. Moody, I, I want to ask you, what would you say to, um, you know, white evangelicals about how they can help um, redirect or be, be a part of from from the standpoint of speaking out and speaking against what is going on? What, what would you say to 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 that class of people? Now, there's no question 
but that Dr. Green is 100% correct on this. Um, uh, white preachers are stymied. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know a lot of white preachers that are really angry about the whole thing. Yeah. And about Brunswick and about Louisville and about um, Minneapolis. But their hands are tied. Uh, they can't say what they think on this issue, but on lots of issues, they can't say yeah. what they think. Yeah. Uh, I wrote this this week in my column. We need a voice in every pew pushing back against the religious pablum served up by feckless preachers to congregations of selfish people. Now that's what I write and think. I said it on my radio show this week. Um, lay people have to empower their preachers to tell the truth and to speak from their heart and to address the issues of, of the day. But a lot of preachers, they can't do it and it's very difficult. Um, I mean, here we are. I'm, I'm right here in the south, the middle of Georgia. Um, and uh, the, the black community here in our county is poor. Uh, there's such deprivation. And when I moved down here, I was just, I was stunned at the deprivation that I saw in our county in, in Brunswick. So this is not just about uh, re religious rhetoric on Sunday morning. It's about economic justice. Uh, I'm reading the new book right now about, uh, uh, about uh, reparations. Uh, uh, Kevin Cosby told me to read this, Dwight. You need to read it, and I'm, I'm reading it. Uh, but it's, there's an economic issue. There's a legal issue. There's a spiritual issue. There's a prophetic issue in all of it. And I know my friends want to do something about it, but it's, it's very difficult to know what to do. Yes. So, so said again for me. And and that's the reality of um, of what some I'm 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 not going to blanket it by saying all, but what some uh, experience that there are, uh, and I've had a couple of people to inbox me this week who who are on the side of go lock up these police officers and charge them with murder, not some tap on the hand and hide them in the house until you can figure out what you're going to do with them. Go pick them up just like you picked up this man at CNN and lock them up and charge them with murder. And there are some people that have inboxed me sharing their sentiments, but, but for some reason don't feel the liberties to share them publicly. And so that's a real reality. Now, why I'm not quite for sure, because if you have a strong conviction about uh, what you feel, what you believe to be right, to be right. The Bible says this morning, for those of you that read um, along with me in the daily Bible reading, Psalms chapter 10, that the Lord has a heart for those that are oppressed and are poor. Now, it, that's not just a racial issue. That is a spiritual issue that we as believers, we as black, black evangelicals, black believers, white believers, Hispanic believers, that to mimic who we have come from spiritually, that we ought to have a heart and a voice for those who are oppressed, for those who um, deal with systematic injustice and racial injustice. Jesus's entire ministry was geared toward those who uh, were oppressed, those who were rejected, those who were ostracized, those who did not have the same privilege as, as others. So we're, we're supposed to speak out 
And whereas you may have thoughts and emotions and feelings about certain things and, and are afraid to and can't because of money and because of position and authority, then you have to question why you're in the position that you're in. Are we are we man right? God pleaser. Am I in the position that I'm in as a preacher, as a prophet, apostle, bishop, evangelist, however, whatever my role and responsibility or title is, am I in that position to feed my own belly and to please those who have put me there? Or am I in the position to holistically fulfill what God has given me to fulfill? And that is, in this instance, to have a heart for those that are oppressed and have mercy and serve just, justice and be righteous, etc. So I completely agree with you. I completely agree. Sure, sure. In 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 Luke in Luke four eighteen and nineteen, we for those preachers in our white brothers and sisters in ministry, particularly the evangelicals who support the racist regime of Donald J. Trump. They really don't understand Luke 4, 18 and 19, which is basically and unequivocally the preaching manifesto of Jesus Christ. It's right there. It's critical. Yeah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel mm -hmm. to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach yeah. deliverance to the captive, and the recovering of sight to the blind. And then this last, these last two phrases in 18, to set at liberty them that are bruised and mm -hmm. to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. One of the things that I really appreciate about the teaching legacy of James Cone, the alleged, the father of black theology. Right. Uh, you know, he wrote a book titled The God, God of the Oppressed. And when he first wrote that book, he received condemnation, criticism, and consternation from our white brothers and sisters. And the reason he received so much flack from them, Damien, is because he pointed out biblically, strategically and biblically, and systematically, that God, down through history, going all the way back to the chosen people of Israel, has always been on the side of the oppressed. And any preacher, any person who calls themselves a, a preacher of the gospel must take sides with the oppressed. And if you are going to side uh, with the powers that be, if you're going to go in, 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 a, in an agreement or partnership with Ahab and Jezebel, listen, you can't claim Christ and the false gods at the same time. How long will you halt between two opinions? opinions? And that's where that that's uh, wherein lies the problem with the church today, is that we we uh, we want to run with the hares and hunt with the hounds and straddle the fence. You can't do it. You have to make a difference. Setting setting the captives free. When you said that, uh, Doctor Green to set the captives free. That is our edict, right? You know, um, setting the captives free is going to cost somebody some money. When I talk about captives, I'm not talking, I'm talking about not on all levels. People who have 
uh, are born again, people who have salvation, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are powerful. And once you, where the the, uh, Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, right? So when you have been uh, liberated, you're gonna call, you're gonna speak truth to power, and it's gonna, it's gonna disrupt some systems. But when you also think about setting the captives free, we can also talk about our penal system. When we think about setting the the, the captives free in regards to our penal system, it's gonna cost somebody Mm -hmm. some money. When Mm -hmm. you talk about setting the captives free in regards to our health care system yeah. it's going to cost somebody some money so we're talking about capitalism and people who right. have degraded capitalism because of selfishness and greed So when we're talking about oppressive states, we're talking about environmental, we're talking about economics, we're talking about food deserts, we're talking about disparities in health, we're talking about all the whole entire gamut. So we're looking at our, our, uh, come on, we're, we're, we're in a democracy, uh, we're in a democracy, but we think, think of, really think of, think about it. Are we really? Because we have a dictator in office that say, oh, you want to fact check me? Let me change the law. So every time someone is called yeah. on their promise, then you want to change the rules of the game. No, 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 no. Right. So we're talking about capitalism. That's white privilege. We're talking about, sir. We're, we're talking about. Um, um, That's white privilege. We're talking about greed. We're talking about selfishness. We're talking about corrupt systems. We're talking about heart matters. Mm-hmm. So when we eat, we're about to, we're on, we're on the brink of Pentecost, and when um, um, Peter had his his uh, famous Easter speech, Peter let him have it, and he said, "You crucified my Savior." Mm-hmm. And when they heard the word and the anointing that was all over Peter, they they they, they, they were torn. The word says they were torn at the heart, at the heart, at the, at the heart. heart, right? At the heart, heart. and said, yeah. "What must we?" We do to be saved. And he said, repent and be baptized. Right. And be baptized. So when we're talking about capitalism, we're talking about greed, That's right. we're talking about selfishness, we're mm-hmm. talking about racism, we're talking about heart issues. And right. yes, racism is learned behavior, but that's learned from someone who had congestive yeah. failure, heart. heart failure. That's so good. Spiritual that's so failure, good. spiritual yeah. blockage. Sure. Go ahead. Dr. Up. Kennedy, you you are so on point. Uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I'm sorry to date myself. Uh, no, it was probably the mid 80s. Uh, Manning Marable, who was a great noted sociologist and professor, uh, Damon, you smiling because I know you've read uh, Manning Marable. He wrote a book entitled How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America. Okay, yeah. and 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 we we have witnessed over the years how capitalism continues to underdevelop underdevelop Black America, while at the same time white privilege uh, bankrupts the system. Okay, uh, the, the 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 raping of Wall Street by these powerful. Exactly. And, and here's the problem that I have. Here's the problem that I have with capitalism when it underdeveloped black America is you you strategically put me in the ghetto. Yeah. You strategically set up systems that continuously disenfranchise me, dehumanize me, ostracize me, criticize me. Tear me down, knock me down, knock me down. And then when I try 
to pull myself up right. by the proverbial saying, my own bootstrap. When I try to better, no matter how much I try to do to better myself, I can go to Dallas Baptist and get my bachelor's. I can go to Princeton and get my master's. I can go to Drew and get my doctorate. I can own my own business. I can pass a successful church. I can raise my two sons. I can send both of them off to college, educate them, and still, they are still considered second-class citizens. They are, and the problem with with the police officer who killed uh, uh, George Floyd is that he still had in his mind that idea that a black man has no right whatsoever that a white man has to respect. Now, I like that term you used earlier in the conversation, intersectionality. That's a beautiful term because you know what? I don't refer, I don't just talk about the black males who are being killed at the hands of the police officer. We've got some soul sisters who have died in custody, in the hands, and you know, uh, a lot of hate surrounding that they're Sandra Bland. The list is just to name right now. It's not just about black men being killed, it's about black bodies. Black bodies. And they fail to see us as human. They don't care. And when you have a commander in chief who tells police officers at a gathering, you know what? Don't go easy on them. When you arrest them, it's okay to hit them upside the head. It's right, okay to right. bump their head when you're putting them in the police car and give them a concussion. Concussion. And then when you have someone who at every one of his rallies, he's throwing red meat to his Amen. racist base. Amen. Amen. You're gonna have. We should listen. All of us knew what make America great again meant. It wasn't the first time we heard it. It wasn't the first time we heard it. And it's not the last time we We all knew that make America great again were cold words to make America white again. Again, yes. When Barack Obama when Barack Obama was elected president, it drove Donald Trump crazy. And unfortunately, Donald Trump had a plan. You can call him what you can call him bonehead. You can call him whatever you want to call. You can call him stupid. But he hatched a plan. He hatched a plan. He planned his work, and he worked. How do you get a man like Donald Trump, who outsmarted and outpoliticked seventeen other traditional politicians to win the nomination of the Republican Party? And not only win the nomination of the Republican Party, but become the president of the United States of America. So it's not just Donald Trump. It's the system that put him in place that has to be challenged. And listen, we got a choice again. And my dear brother Malcolm, who sleeps uh, upstate New York in his grave, Malcolm said, we got a choice. Either the ballot or the bullet. It's our choice. And if we do not use our ballots right, if we do not unseat some of these racist politicians, if we, and and, and listen, I want to say this because I, I appreciate Dr. Moody tonight. I want to say this. 
not everybody who looks like me is my kind. Okay. I know. We have people of color in office that needs to come out of office. Yeah. Just because they black don't mean they have. And then we have to stop this ignorant conversation about a black agenda. I get so sick and tired of these radio hosts and these popular DJs talking, yeah. you know, and these uh, famous artists talking about, you know, we will take this one out. Hillary Clinton was defeated because they just couldn't find it within themselves. And it, you know what? It was a situation where you had to choose your poison. Okay? It was a situation where you had to choose your poison. But guess what? There's some poison that make you sick overnight. Food poison will make you sick for two or three days. But then there's cyanide. There's, <laughs> there's some stuff that will kill you in the words of Derek Winkley, graveyard dead. Okay? So listen to me. Listen to what I'm listen to what I'm gonna tell you. We have come to a point in time where we as the church, leaders in the church, we have to not only religiously educate our people, right. but we have to politically educate our people. And right. preachers, teachers, church leaders right. who want to sit on the sideline, you do, you are not worthy to lead the people. I wish my church, I wish a leader, a leader in my church would tell me to be quiet and that I can't talk out and speak politically. I wish they would. I wish they would. I it, wish they would. So please, let's let's be honest in this conversation. I want to appreciate everything. Sure, this is Thank you. No, I was just going to say, I agree with you. It definitely has to be a well-balanced approach to, to, to provide some type of solution. Because here's the reality. If and since racism is not going to change, it has not prior... And, and the expectation of it changing after George Floyd and that trial and whatever that indictment will be, um, it has not changed prior, it may not change now. So since it's not something that's going to change anytime soon, how do we spiritually deal with it? How do we practically deal with it? How do we deal with it as a, as a church, as a body? How do we deal with it as a race, as a people? Etc. Etc. And so, in lieu of that, I want to ask you all uh, specific questions and give you an opportunity to respond regarding that. Um, I want to make sure that we had a couple of questions, and we'll we'll go back and look at your questions and answer those um, before we get off. But I'm going to start with you, um, uh, Dr. Williams. So, for those, and, and and I brought this point up with our church on Wednesday night at Bible study um, as it relates to what I just said. If racism is something that is not going away, right? Whether we have somebody in office who feels that way or whether you got somebody in corporate America that feels that way or whether you have somebody in church or in your home, however it may be, if, if racism is not going to be eradicated anytime soon, what do you say as a leader, as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, to the body of Christ, to um, people at large about how they deal with this type of oppression. Um, what, what type of conversations should they have with their sons? 
Yeah. Um, what type of conversation should they have with their daughters? How should we approach this from a spiritual and a natural and practical uh, aspect? So that's your question. Manibal. Yeah. So yeah. So pops, you you would set me up to come after him, and um, you know he's he's, he's really rubbing off on me thousands of miles away from uh, from 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 there in New York to down here as my you know adopted spiritual father. So. You know, I think, you know, a pastor in the oldest black church here in the city of Dallas, founded by blacks for blacks, that, you know, that question just, I, I mean, it, it, it's so loaded. So, so I can't help but think about Matthew chapter three. Yeah. And, and, and I'm thinking about John the Baptist and we talk about the, the power of one person. Right. And, and so four things I, I think about when I'm thinking about the life of John the Baptist as, as a voice crying in the wilderness, since you, since you placed it so eloquently to say, since we know racism isn't going anywhere, since it's gonna be here, what do I tell the oldest Af African-American church in the city of Dallas, what do I tell my 13-year-old son my, my 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 three daughters and and my two year old who's who's been you know who's who's coming up the ranks, you know right. I think number one I, that when we're talking about this clarion call and, and being a prophetic voice that our message must be clear. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I think about the life of John the Baptist. His message was clear. He didn't deviate. He had one purpose: prepare the way. Verse three for the one who's coming. Number two, our message must be convicting. That's good. Listen, there's a hell waiting on you wow. if you don't get it together. And, and we've got to quit this uh, struggling with exclusivity versus inclusivity. There's one way to heaven. That's through Jesus who is the Christ, right? And so our message must be con convicting. That, that we stand and believe what we believe and we do not waver in our convictions. Listen, our actions gotta be consistent. Quit, quit, quit preaching it one way and living it a different way. These millennials don't care nothing about our gospel. They care about our lifestyle. And if we're going to raise a generation of millennials, if we're going to raise a generation of, of nuns who don't know Jesus, who don't even care about Jesus, they want to see a life because now we're at a pivotal point in our in our in rearing and raising children. We have now reached a place in America where we have a generation who has not been taught about God. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So 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 and then finally, when I think about John the Baptist, not only must our message be clear, not only must it be convicting, not only must our actions uh, be consistent with the gospel that we are preaching, but finally, our attitude got to be changed. It's not going to change. Racism not going to change. Let me, I'm sorry. Let me get ebonically, uh, just just ebonic, just with it. Uh, uh, since it ain't going to change, I got to change because. Right. I'm going to have a stroke. I'm going to die. And, and I've been living, I've been black for 41 years. And if I'm going to live to be 80 or 90, I must have an attitude that has changed since the world is not going to change. How I look at the world has to change. And I've got to preach and teach to a congregation to do just that. That hey, not only is the Lord like John the wow. Baptist, not only is John, not That's only good. is John the Baptist a, a, a voice in the wilderness talking about the first coming of Jesus, but dog it, God is God needs a 
uh, uh, John the Baptist to be prophetic in the 21st century about Jesus who's getting ready to come back. And, 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 and not only am I wanting him to take me to heaven with him, but I need to be able to experience some of it right here while I'm living in the midst of hell. Right. Okay. Right. And so, so those are my four things that I would teach my congregation, that Matthew 3 motif, that, that we've got to be that voice. And we've got to have some sense when we're talking and dealing with racism, with systemic racism, with 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 all of this, because that's our reality. So if you don't change, they won't change. And so we know they're not going to change. We know racism not going to change. So I've got to. You're talking about from a pastoral standpoint. Yeah. How am I going to teach my congregation? We've got to be that change that we want to see in the community. All right. Sorry about that, y'all. That's so good. You better preach to us. Ah, I got it in the sermon in. Awesome. 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 That's so good. Oh, my God. That's so good. That's so good. Pastor Kennedy. Oh, go, go ahead. Somebody wants to, to chime no, in. Go ahead. Pastor Kennedy. So with, with your heart for... Um, systemic racism and um, you being so um, diligent and intentional about uh, activism um, where civil rights are concerned, how would you, what would you say to us, um, African-Americans and Caucasians, does not matter the race, how we ought to practically respond peaceably for results that can benefit the whole of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and, and I'm saying that in lieu of, you know, I, I believe that um, no riots is not going to, uh, not going, it's not going to help. But but the question is, why are they rioting? Right? What, what caused them to want to do that? Um, <laughs> no, it's not going to benefit anything to, to burn down uh, a tree or a building. But what has created that? So my question to you is, what are some practical things that you can share with our listeners about how we ought to respond to get the results that we desire to help lead us into a revolution of racial equality? Huh. Well, um, you said peacefully. <laughs> when people get to a point where enough is enough, yeah, um, this is what we see in Minneapolis right now. They're rioting. Because they, they, you know, this, not, this is not yeah. the, this is not an isolated incident in Minneapolis. You know, there is a history of racism. It's a history of injustice there, right? Um, I'll answer this two ways. Um, when when I thought about the question initially, um, I want to say that in your circle of influence you should have that hard or that uncomfortable conversation mm -hmm. with your with your peer group mm -hmm. regardless of their net regardless of their ethnicity regardless of you know um have the hard and uncomfortable conversation because sometimes just because people um um i hear it all the time well i have black friends so i'm not racist well you having black friends is not um um that that is not uh, make you exempt from being racist. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's the ideology and behaviors, right? And the things that you think and how you feel. I think we said it earlier for as privilege that is so ingrained 
um, white privilege that is really ingrained and embedded that you don't really feel what, what you say or what you do is wrong because that's mm -hmm. that's a, like embedded theology. That's how you were groomed and how you were shaped. So to help have that conversation with your influence, your circle of influence, um, I thought about um, two powerful books, uh, Stamped from the Beginning. Stamp from the Beginning is a book is talking about the history of racist ideas in America. Hmm. Um, when I really started reading this book, it made me realize that um, um, this goes all the way back to Aristotle, right? Yeah. When we look at the history and the Puritans, I mean, it. it um, I don't want to mispronounce the author's name, but he, Kendi, he, he very didactically trace us through history how racism began and how it's flourishing and where we are now. Yeah. Um, I will also like to offer the book White Fragility because many times um, we operate out of our emotions. We see something, we, we saw the video of George Floyd being, Floyd being murdered and all of these, all the slew <clears throat> of other black people, men and women who have been um, treated unfairly and, and brutalized. We, call, we said Sandra Bland's name, we said Breonna Taylor's name. All these people come rushing all the way back. We come off Freddie Gray, we talk about Tamira Rice, we're talking about um, um, all those, right, come rushing back. So what do we do peacefully? We Michael engage Brand. and have that, that hard, uncomfortable conversation with our peer group and say, right. hey, you know, um, this is how I'm feeling about this. And those real friends, those who truly are in your circle, and regardless of what side of the track they live on, regardless of their zip code, regardless of what their upbringing, what school, what social economic situation, those real people will hear you. Right. And they will. They, they may not ever. Um, that is opening the door for a very authentic conversation. Yeah. Because sometimes people don't know that their thought process is offensive, because I thought. I mean this is my way of living all my life. So you're telling me what I said was offensive. I didn't realize that was offensive. Right. Right. Privilege runs deep. So have those, have the hard and uncomfortable conversations with your peer group, your circle of influence. Um, if they're, um, they see you in one way, but for on the media portray our black sisters and brothers another way. So mm -hmm. they want to put us in different groups like, Oh, well, I have some civil, well, in, in the work in regards to the media, tomorrow I have some black friends who are not thugs. That's the word <coughs> she used. Um, so, no, you cannot separate us, right? Mm -hmm. And to use those type of terminology, ter no, you have to have those conversations with those people that have your ear, that you have their ear. And be ready for an honest conversation. We can't change someone who is 80 years old, someone who is 70 years old. Whoever your whatever your peer group is, that's your immediate in, that's your immediate influence. Yeah. Whoever have that ear. Start with them first because racism is learned. Check on where they are in love. Like, sis, that that that's not right. Why right. do you, why do you feel that way? You know, open-ended questions. What, what what makes you think that? You know, have the dialogue, not accuse. You know, a dialogue, a right. real conversation. Right. So you can get an understanding as to why you feel this way and why you think that way. Right. Right. Because many times we make assumptions. 
So having that conversation is a peaceful way to help um, deter future behavior in the future. I mean, future, future behavior, period. Um, it's going to be rough because yeah. emotions, you know, like it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So Right Fragility is a perfect book. Um, um, Stamp from the Beginning is a perfect book because it gives you a lot of information as to why we are where we are today. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Moody, um, it's a great segue to uh, the question that I'd like to ask you with her saying um, that it is it is learned behavior. So with um, institutions that, that uh, sometimes teach this reality of superiority and uh, impute upon uh, children and um, you know, as you matriculate through school, you have this subliminal reality of superiority. How, how would you or what would you say to those who are part of these institutions um, that have their, the opportunity to mold and shape the minds and the hearts of um, young people, black and white, um, young leaders, black and white, young ministers, black and white, what are some key elements that you would share with uh, those of us that are in that class as to how we can break down those barriers to really empower um, all races to be the best of who they can be successfully in society and spiritually? I'm going to start off with well, a, confession, a confession and say that I am a racist. I don't like it. I don't want to be. But because I was raised in a white, privileged culture, I have uh, reactions and instincts and ideas and prejudices and assumptions uh, that I have carried with me. I worked very, very hard to uh, weeds out of out of my life, but it's it's hard. It's not easy. And a lot of this is instinctive. So I think I want to start off uh, by confessing this. Um, and Dr. Moody, let, let me, if you don't mind, interrupt you. For those of you that are listening and watching, first of all, let me say to you, I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, and I know that there may be uh, a lot of people that may be watching and that eyebrows may have raised um, but from a spiritual standpoint, uh, the Bible says that we ought confess our sins one to another. Um, and so I appreciate you for being bold to sharing that and, uh, and for giving an opportunity um, for others to be just as transparent. There it is, <laughs> just as transparent so that we can overcome those things. Because some of it is institutionalism that, that is imputed from childhood on. And you don't realize it until you're confronted. No, you, you don't realize it. And I don't know that it was it has ever been overt in my education or in my formation. Yeah. I, I don't have any memory of anybody attacking any other race uh, when I was a kid. The, uh, things are subtle. Things are unspoken. Things are seen uh, and not explained. Uh, and it shapes us the way we are. Right. And I want to, again, affirm Dr. Kennedy in saying that... Uh, this racism, the Bible itself is full of racism. Yeah. Uh, in almost every book of the Bible, there are uh, stories of 
one ethnic group against another. Sure group. is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, still. Right. It's, uh, it's not just the Jews and the Samaritans, but uh, it's, um, it's not just the, uh, the Jews and the Greeks, but it starts with the Canaanites and the Hebrew people killing right. each other. Right. It's, it's all the way through the Bible. And so it's a reality in our lives. It's much more pervasive. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with that observation, with that confession, it's, uh, I don't have any. Um, um, I don't have any solutions. I work very, very hard. I will say that my whole my whole understanding and experience was transformed. Share uh, when we started the Academy of Preachers. When I began to meet young people like you, as I did in Dallas, Texas, at Criswell College. I remember the yeah. day very clearly. Um, um, and I, and now my my Facebook feed is uh, full of what we're talking about here tonight uh, because of the, the people like share that the Lord has brought into my life to um, teach me and to shape me and and I, I hope it's not too late. I'm 70 years old. I hope it's not too late for a 70 year old to uh, repent of some things and to be reformed and. Uh, to to be shed of some things that that we don't like, so that's what I'm praying for. Uh, even in my own life, uh, I'm not preaching every Sunday, but I've, I've got a radio pulpit, and I, I I do preach on my radio show. So um, I don't mean to, but I, I get into it anyway. That's what I've got to say about this. Never too late, Doctor Moody. Never, never too late. Can I can I can I throw Doctor? Can I throw Dr. Moody a lifeline? Yeah, lifeline. Go ahead. Please throw him a lifeline, sure. Dr. Moody, let, let me just let me just sagaciously suggest to you. First of all, I want to appreciate you for your transparency. Right. But then secondly, all of us have some confession that we need, to, we need to do. There's some things that we all need to say. And the truth of the matter is, every last one of us on this panel tonight we harbor some kind of racism or right. uh, we're all racist and xenophobic and xenophobic. Yeah. Uh, yes. Dr. Cardinal West wrote that beautiful book, Xenophobia. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we all possess uh, xenophobic tendencies where one race fears another right. race. Okay. Right. Uh, right. There is that level of distrust. There is that level of distrust between black and white that has existed since right. the time slaves were stolen from the motherland and brought across the Middle Passage, and 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 they didn't land on as as Malcolm said on Plymouth Rock, but Plymouth Rock landed on them. Watch this. We have to be honest about this, and I think this is a good starting point. Right conversation about where we as clergy, our deep seated racism. One of my closest friends in the world. I met at Dallas Baptist University, works for First Baptist Church Dallas. His name is Paul Boone. Paul Boone is one of my dearest friends in the whole wide world. But God knows he and I go around and around <laughs> on this issue of racism. Yeah. You know, you know, I was doing the citywide revival in Dallas, and he had his family on the front row at Good Street every night. You know, that's just how close we are. But we have to be honest about our existing racism in ourselves. Right. Not just white people being racist toward black people, but black people 
being racist toward white. And you know, in a, uh, a Warren Worsby and the late Dr. E.K. Bailey, they tried to address some of this these issues of racism in their book, Preaching in Black and White. Okay, and and and, and they did the best they could during that season. Uh, as preachers, we got to do more than pulpit exchanges and saying kumbaya. Yeah. And then we go back to our pulpit and then business as usual. But here, here's where I think, here's where our real problem lies, Jerry. Here's where our real problem lies. The real problem lies in the fact that most preachers, and I want to talk about black preachers in particular, do not understand when they're preaching the gospel, they're so into hermeneutics and homiletics right. and getting their messages to a point where it's acceptable in a traditional setting that they miss the social implications of the gospel. And they forget that we have a savior who is both human and divine. Yeah. And one of the reasons Jesus divested himself of his glory to come down to earth and became uh, uh, man was to identify with our humanity. humanity. So okay. we have to understand the implications of having a savior who is both human and divine, who, who can understand what we're feeling and yet speak from an existential position of eternal power and intervene and, inter and, and, and intercede on our behalf. Watch this. Right. Until and and I, I and I don't just want to point the finger at my white brothers. I want to point the finger at my black brothers. Some of our black preachers are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good, and they are only righteous in the pulpit. They're really pseudo righteous, but they're righteous in the pulpit, and they camouflage their spirituality by preaching sermons that do not connect. And listen, the same preaching genres, the same preaching traditions that we espouse in the, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and 70s, and 80s, we have the paradigm, there's been a shift. There's yeah. been a shift not only in preaching style, there has been a paradigm damn shift, theologically speaking. And if we do not adapt to the shifts, right? And if we do, and, and Damien, you mentioned it, the uh, uh, millennials, millennials do not care about our alliteration. They do not care about how right. how well all our machinery is in our churches, how well structured our sermon. They want to know. Here's what millennials want to know. They don't want to know how much you know. They don't want. They don't want to know. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They want to know. Are you they want to hear a sermon. When they come to church on Sunday, when they come to church, they don't care if you who or if you don't who. What they care about is, is the preacher going to speak to me and make the word of God relevant and applicable to where I'm living right now? Well, where right. am I living? I'm glad y'all asked question. I'm living in a white racist America. Now, you all remember, we're talking about the riots that are going on in Minneapolis and how to address this and how do we in our churches speak to this issue. First of all, 
You remember Dr. King said in a, a, a speech called The Other America, he said that uh, riot is the language of the unheard. Right. So when we when we rate when we rate when we allude to what Dr. King informed us as to what a riot is, there are two salient questions that need to be asked. Number one, the first question is, will anyone listen? That's number one. And then uh, the second question, what is it? And this is what Dr. King was getting at. What is it that America has failed to hear? And here's what America has failed to hear. Here's what the white church has failed to hear, the evangelical church. This is what the black church has failed to hear. We have failed to hear the fact that the God we serve is a God who is no respecter of persons. And an anthropological truth is that out of one, good, uh, one blood, God created all men equal. We have failed to hear black people crying out against the oppressor. That's the message we failed to hear. Yeah. We, we, and and until, until all of America hears the same message, yeah, coming not just from black because here's here's the here's the here's here's where Satan dupes us. Here's where Satan a lot of people in America. It's not just black people that are disenfranchised. It's not just black people that are on welfare. Okay, yeah, uh, more white people are on welfare than black people. Okay, so it's it, until until America decides that is going to live up to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, mm -hmm. we will continue to come back to cinematic presentations of injustice and executions taking place live on street corners. And we'll have police officers acting not only as judge, but they'll be acting as jury and executioner. And this is something the church must, we must hear, we must hear. In order to address, we must hear. In order to address what's going on, we must hear what is going on. And right. I don't think America has clearly heard the message that an oppressed people is trying to articulate. And so as you continue to oppress me, Eventually, and that's why I'm not going to the pulpit Sunday. I'm not going to my virtual pulpit Sunday and tell the people of Minnesota, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, New York. I'm not going to tell them to settle down. I'm not going to tell them not to be angry because who am I to tell somebody who has been repeatedly victimized by a system of injustice, you ought to calm down. Just like they, the police officers, when they arrest people for crying, they say, tell it to the judge. That's what they should have said to that police officer who killed George Floyd in cold-blooded murder. Right. They should have arrested him sooner rather than later. Right. They right. should have told him when he starts saying, well, this, that, uh, but they gave him a chance to pack his belongings, and he first, before he was uh, charged, he ran to Florida. He ran to Florida. And I promise you, there is a GoFundMe that's supporting him. And so these police officers are out there, and they they know, they operate with some sense of understanding that if I kill a black man, there are, there are a group of people out there 
who are going to fund me. They're going to take care of my family. Go ahead and take my job. Because when they get through filling the coffer of my GoFundMe account, I'll have enough to invest. I'll have enough to uproot, buy me another house, and, and lay low for two or three years, and then apply for a job in a small town. Nobody's going to check my history. And that same racist cop is going to be back on the street inflicting pain on black bodies. God bless you. I'm done. Well, you answered the question I had for you, man. <laughs> you, you already answered your questions. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I want to uh, let me say to each of All you, right, I'm I, done. Think, uh, I, I think Sister Mosley had to get off, but I really appreciate um, all of you for sharing your hearts and your thought and your experience and your perspective about um, about what is happening. And I think it's important for us to have a dialogue, as you said, Pastor Kennedy, uh, to have uncomfortable conversations and to make sure that you approach it. Since I am a believer and you all are believers and those that are watching uh, and listening in, some of them are believers, most of them, I would assume, I'm not quite for sure who all is watching, that we have to approach this spiritually uh, and practically. And our spiritual responsibility is to uh, make sure that our practical response does not contradict who God has called us to be and what his word says. Um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Um, and our, our greatest weapon, um, aside from practically us speaking about it, is through prayer. And so we ought pray without ceasing. But when we get off our knees, we ought to be activists about what God the Father has empowered us uh, to do through prayer. And so I just want to encourage all of you that um, have listened um, and that will listen at a later time uh, to be prayerful about what you've heard, to be prayerful about what's going on um, and to be consistent in doing something that can benefit the whole as we are trying to turn the corner and get our country, our people, our children, right? Um, our, our associates, our friends, etc. Get them to see how we ought to respond to living with racism. Um, if it is not going anywhere until it does, and if it does not at all, how do we respond? Uh, what do we do? What do we say? What should we say? What should we do with our emotions and our feelings and the realities of what we have to experience? So again, thank all of you for joining in. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening and for joining in, for sharing the video, uh, as those of you have. Uh, we have spent our time with Living with Racism on CDW Life Nuggets Podcast Live, and I appreciate all of you for joining. Uh, I want to encourage those of you that are uh, watching and that are listening at this time, if you don't have uh, my mobile app, go ahead and download it um, on Apple or the Google Play Store. We'll upload this podcast so that you can return and listen to it. Again, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to YouTube. We'll put it on. God bless all of you. And before we dismiss and leave, I want to pray for each of you that are listening and those that are connected with you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for uh, your pastors, your mouthpieces, your leaders that have spent time with sharing with all of our listeners, God. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you would grant us uh, strength, that you would comfort the hearts of those that are losing loved ones to such violence and racism, Father. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would grant us wisdom. We pray that you would teach 
teach us how to respond in a manner that's pleasing to you, God, in the name of Jesus. We pray for our sons and our daughters that are uh, being raised and reared in this type of culture and environment in our country, God. And we even pray because your word admonishes us to do so for our leader, that you would save his soul, that you would give him clarity, Father. And for those that are leaders in our churches, God, that you would give them us wisdom and clarity as to how we ought to lead your people. And we pray for those that are lost. God, we thank you so much for keeping us. We thank you for pouring your spirit into us. And we thank you for your word that sanctifies us and sets us apart until the return of Christ Jesus. And I plead the blood of Jesus over every person that is watching, over every person that's a part of the body of Christ, over every person that has shared tonight. I plead the blood of Jesus over us all and pray that we live to the glory of your name, Jesus. We thank you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless all of you. Have a wonderful night. We thank you so much for watching and for listening and for joining. Thank you for tuning in to the CDW Life Nuggets podcast. To get more information or if you want to hear a repeat broadcast, download the Share D Weekly Ministries mobile app on the App Store and also available on Google Play. Or you can visit shareweekly.org. May God bless you and heaven smile richly upon you. This has been another CDW Life Nuggets podcast. Until we meet again, remember to manifest and maximize life.